you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Now, please enjoy this message from our pastor, Bruce Rhodes. Now, we're in a series called Twisted Truth, and this is week number two. Um, Last week, just want to point out a couple of things. You can go back and you can revisit the the uh, video, the audio. You can listen to it. Uh, the notes are out there. Uh, guys, if you go ahead and, yeah, you got the notes up there already. If you want to follow along in the notes, you always go to lifeway.church and then the date. So today is 9-22-19. Last week, you can go back and look at the notes from last week. Also view the video. So follow along in your notes. And um, last week, we talked about error in the church. Can you imagine? There's error in the church. Who would have thought that there's error in the church? But it was prophesied. And uh, we saw from the word, and we're going to read that word right now in 1 Timothy, where that uh, it was prophesied that there was going to be error in the last days. Deception will increase in the last days. And that there would be false doctrine in the church. And he told us this so that we wouldn't be surprised. Right? You remember last week we talked about the things that are going on in the world and, 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 and how ministers are just checking out physically and spiritually. The ones that are saying, I'm done with this spiritually, are like, I'm renouncing Jesus. I, I, I don't even believe what I thought I believed a, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. And then there's others that are physically just saying, I can't take it anymore, and they take their own life. And it's sad, but we, we and, and, and it's shocking at the same time. We don't need to be surprised because that's what the Word of God said, right? Even though it's shocking, we shouldn't be surprised. The devil wants us to be surprised. The devil wants the believers that have been following these leaders in the body to follow them right into their, their, their activities, what, what, what they did, Right? But we've got to stay strong with the word. We've got to stand on the word and find out what the word says about these last days that we're living in. You know, we did talk last week about this gradual moving away from the truth. A lot of, things, a lot of these things happen overnight. We think they happen overnight, but they've been happening behind the scenes Every day, every week, every month, just a gradual moving away from God's truth. And so this day that we're living in, there's, there's a lot of questions about truth. We're going to be talking about truth for the next four weeks. Uh, last week was week one, so we'll have five weeks of this twisted truth. Um, how to recognize deception and how to... To be discerning. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, guys, says, Now the Spirit expressly says. This, this is different. Paul is, Paul is not saying to Timothy, I'm telling you this, Timothy. He's saying the Spirit of God is saying expressly this. The Spirit is saying this. That in the last time some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so this is the, what the Bible says. We should not be surprised. 
I also want to tell you as we go forward today that, that uh, we've got some books that uh, just came out this past week that I, I took some of the points from some of these messages over the next five weeks from this book by uh, Rick Renner called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, Developing Discernment for These Last Days. And this book is like uh, 350 pages plus. Um, we're selling it out there for $15 if you want to pick one up on your way out. Um, but, you know, it, it, it needs to be an ongoing message to the body of Christ. Not only God would authorize people to write a book like this, and, and Rick Renner is a Greek scholar. He breaks down the Greek words, and he's a, also a historian uh, that has studied church history for years, been in the ministry probably 40-plus years. And um, it's a great resource. It's a great book to get. It really goes in depth. I don't have time to, go <laughs> to, to include everything that he says in here. He's a Greek scholar. I'm not, so I'm going to practically apply it to our lives as a pastor. And so I encourage you to get that book and dig into it. You know, if you're, if you're leading a life group, a small group here at Lifeway, that would be a good curriculum to use for a life group to go through that line upon line. But... Notice that this scripture says that some will depart because they were deceived. And so I want, to look at, I want us to look at this word gullible. <laughs> gullible. What does that word mean? I don't want you to be gullible. God doesn't want you to be gullible. The word gullible means easily deceived. To be easily deceived. And I think that there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that are gullible in the, in the days that we're living in. They're just gullible. And so there's two reasons for being gullible that I can see. Number one, you don't know. You just don't know. And so you're gullible. You're innocently unaware of something that could be false doctrine. I just don't know. And there's, there's help for that. And then number two, the second reason is, is you're just too trusting. Too trusting. Well, you say, well, I'm supposed to trust. I'm supposed to trust. Love thinks the best about everybody. Yes, it does. But love is not gullible. Jesus was not gullible. Jesus did not come to earth and be, he wasn't led around by everybody. You know, some people ask Jesus a question. He didn't answer their question. He asked them a question. He wasn't gullible. God is not gullible. He doesn't expect us to be gullible. To believe everything. Right? So a freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High won first place at a greater Idaho Falls Science Fair April the 26th in 1997. He was attempting to show how conditioned we've become to alarmist practicing junk science, and spreading fear of everything in our environment. And in his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dehydrogen monoxide. And for plenty good reasons. Here are the reasons. Number one, it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. Number two, it is a major component in acid rain. Number three, it can cause uh, severe burns in its gaseous state. 
Number four, accidental inhalation can kill you. Number five, it decreases effectiveness uh, of automobile, automobile brakes. Number seven, it has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. He asked 50 people if they supported a ban on the chemical. 43 said yes. Six were undecided. And only one knew that the chemical was actually H2O water. Dehydrogen oxide. Monox, monoxide. Okay, I'm not a scientist, but you get it, right? We've got to ban this because it can do all these things. Not even realizing that they were agreeing to ban water. How gullible can we be? How gullible can we be? And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 4, Take heed that no man deceive you. In other words, don't allow someone to lead you astray, leading you into error. Don't allow anybody to lead you into error. Hey, Lee, come here. Where are we going? <laughs> hey, he says, okay, where are we going? <laughs> you did. You passed the test. There was a certain amount of trust that Lee had in me that I wasn't going to lead him astray. But after he thought about it for a minute, he's like, uh, wait a minute. We permit ourselves to be led. You give people permission to lead you. When people tell you things, most of the time we smile to be nice and say, you're right, you're right. When actually we can be nice and disagree. This is a problem with a lot of us as Christians. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Therefore, we agree with them and they're in the middle of deception. And it's sad because we don't want to point out the fact that they're about to jump off of a cliff and take their own life because we want to be nice. And I'm telling you, the times that we're living in are not nice times. We need to wake up and not be so gullible. Don't allow somebody to lead you where you don't know where they're going. And watch out who you trust. There's so many scriptures that we have that, 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 that talk about what, uh, being aware of who you trust and where they're leading you. Don't be deceived because we could, we could also say Jesus is saying don't be deceived because you're responsible. You're responsible. You'll never get to that place and go, well, I didn't have anything to do with this. You know, we teach our kids, watch out who you hang around with because you'll become just like them. You hop in a car with a bunch of teenagers that are going, uh, going around doing terrible things, end up robbing the bank. They all jump in the car. If your son or daughter is in that car, guess what? They're going to be taken to the consequence of that, uh, that action, that illegal action. 
right? And so, during this series, I'm purposely not going to name any one minister or Christian artist or sports person, Christian, because my, my job is not to call names. My job is not to send certain teachers and ministers a letter to try to correct those people or an open letter to the body of Christ to correct some issue. Our job as, as pastors, Pastor Sheila and I, are, are, we're here to develop maturity in our local church called Lifeway Church so that you are solid disciples of Christ that are not gullible and so that you don't believe everything that you hear or read. And when others fall away, you continue to stand strong on the truth of God's word. And why is this message so important? Because people are looking for stability because everything around them is shaking. They're they're looking for hope because so many people are giving up. They're looking for answers because there's so much confusion. And they're looking for absolute truth because I believe that God created us so that we're not making up our own little personal truth. You know, the saying today is, you do you. You do you. That's a way of saying, just don't mess with me. I have my own stuff. You have your own stuff. And as long as you don't cross that line, then we okay. But let me tell you, (laughs) that line is imaginary. Because we're all on the earth together and we do cross each other's line all the time. This autonomy is, is non-existent. But there is an agenda out there to push this autonomy. I have my own laws, you have your own laws, and we can coexist in happiness and peace. It doesn't happen like that. God established law and order. And it keeps peace. Right? And there is absolute truth. It's not subjective. And it's not your truth versus my truth. Right? There is absolute truth. Absolute, absolutely absolute truth. And so in relation to the truth, there's two responsibilities that I see of us in the body of Christ. There's the responsibility of the minister, the leader, the teacher. There's also the responsibility of the disciple, the follower, the hearer. Jesus even said, take heed how you hear, right? Listen to what you're listening to. And if it doesn't meet the test, the criteria, Philippians 4, 8 says, think on these things. Listen, you're going to be thinking on what you hear, right? And Philippians 4, 8 says, think on these things, those th- things that are true, honest, lovely, the good report, there would be any virtue, there would be any praise. Think on these things. So we line up what we're thinking about, what we're hearing with the word of God. It is the truth that sets us free and keeps us free. Right? And so there's, there's responsibilities as, as teachers. Teaching, leading is a high calling. James chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. In the New International Version it says, Not many of you should become teachers. <laughs> but everybody wants to teach and everybody wants to hold the microphone and everybody wants to tell everybody what they know. Quick. 
But the Bible says that we shouldn't become, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. James says it like this, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly or with a stricter judgment. There's a responsibility. It's a higher call. It's a high calling. It's a high calling. You, when, you, when you step into to the position of leadership, there, you assume a higher responsibility. I read an article this week about uh, the situation, the crisis going on in, in church leadership. And somebody suggested, and it was, it was in a spirit of love, that maybe we need to, to sit some of the leaders down that are leading because they're not in a state of emotional health mental health, our spiritual health. You know, you can only give out what you have. You can only take people where you've been. And if you're not in a great place, maybe you're leading people down the wrong path. And if you're uh, a a responsible leader, you're going to say, hey, maybe I've disqualified myself here. Not, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm human. Yes, we all deal with thoughts. But as a leader, we're responsible to recognize when we're not in the right place to lead. The demands on leadership today are so, so much more. (laughs) Because, uh, I think personally, because of the technology and the advancement of, of knowledge, just the increase of knowledge on the earth, there's pressure to be all and know all. And you have to have all the answers. There, because there's nowhere else to turn. There's nowhere else to turn. We, 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 we're asking you. And so everybody, everybody's watching. Everybody's watching this video. And they'll be able to go back and analyze and scrutinize uh, the words that were spoken. I'm speaking words. And they're going out on the Internet. And you can actually download this uh, video and you can throw it up to another website and it will actually transcribe every word and you can go back and analyze and there probably people are doing that I, I'm not sure but everyone is watching all the time and to admit that you don't know something lessens your credibility who's going to listen to somebody that says I don't know I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I'm saying right pretty soon if you hear that you turn it off we want to know that people are credible. It builds trust. We're, we're, we're follow somebody that we trust. It's all based on the trust. Leadership is based on trust. And so if you trust me, you'll follow me. But I have to build that credibility. And so that's why, you know, that it's, there's such a demand on leadership in these days. So how did the error get into the church? How did erroneous teaching get into the church in the first century when the church was just started? I want to look at that a little bit, that, that, that thought, uh, because the Holy Spirit was warning the church and dealing with erroneous teaching and false teachers. The Gnostics were uh, moving in the church, and Gnosticism is... Uh, I have it in your notes there. It's from the Latin words, having knowledge. Having knowledge. And there was such an elevation of knowledge. We have to have knowledge. And so the origins of Gnosticism came in the Hellenistic Judaism, which 
is, is the Greek culture mixed with Jewish traditions. Always this idea of mixing. Mixing, we're going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and we're going to mix it together because it all sounds good. It all sounds good and we'll just blend it together, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and surely God must be pleased if it, if it sounds good, right? So in the notes, I'm going, to, I'm going to read word for word six errors of Gnosticism. You need to, th- this is very important. It's the reason I'm reading it word for word. This is exactly from this book. But I want you to hear how, how it sounds like a lot of the stuff that's going on in today's church. Error number one, the Gnostics back in the first century of the church claimed that the Old Testament scriptures were inferior and they were based on old, outdated, and antiquated ideas. Thus, Christians needed to disconnect themselves from the teachings of the Old Testament. How does that sound today with some of the teaching that's going on? We don't need the Old Testament. It was for Israel. No, no. We're converts and we're the true Jews and we don't need the Old Testament. Listen, if we didn't have the old, we wouldn't have the new. (laughs) Error number two. Gnostics proposed the idea that the wrath of the Old Testament God wasn't to be taken seriously by New Testament believers. They contended that all forms of present or future judgment were dismissed. Gnostics claimed that the concept of God's wrath was an imaginary doctrine based on religious thinking that should be discounted as unfitting for a loving God. And again, the idea of God is so loving, how could he ever judge anybody? Or, since he judged everybody through Jesus, why would he ever judge anybody again? (laughs) Sounds good. But it's not true. There will be a judgment day. And it has already been written. Error number three. Gnostics also held to a doctrine that the flesh, indeed all physical manner, was evil and fading. Only the spirit held significance. So once a person's spirit was born again, it really didn't matter whether he sinned with the flesh. Thus, no one needed to confess any sin after he came to Christ. That sounds convenient, doesn't it? You can just live like you want to because you're saved in your spirit and your flesh. It's rotten anyway. Error number four. Gnostics were antominian. The word antominian means against the law, against law. And it depicts Gnostic aversion to the moral law of God, which they alleged to be inferior. An Old Testament concept that had no relevance for Christians. Again, back to we don't want to be under the law. We don't want any kind of law. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. This is autonomy. And, and today it's like, hey, I want what I want, you want what you want, and if we stay apart from each other, we're good. But that doesn't happen. Error number five, Gnostics also believed that a new gospel was needed that would merge varying religious beliefs. They attempted to create a message that was more open-minded 
and less text-based and more inclusive of other theological beliefs, philosophical ideas, and alternative lifestyles. Gnostics sought to create a faith that even unbelievers would consider unobjectionable and be able to participate in. So again, let's just make it wide open and all roads lead to God. And we don't want to offend anybody, so we're not going to tell anybody that they're wrong or we're not going to insist that there's only one way and his name is Jesus. That's what they were doing 2,000 years ago, guys. <laughs> and it hasn't changed. You know why it hasn't changed? Because the devil hasn't changed. A lie is a lie 2,000 years ago is the same lie today. You can dress it up. You can put it in a different outfit, but it's the same stinking lie. <laughs> if you follow a lie and swallow a lie, you're going to go off course. Listen, if I started out from Atlanta to go to L.A. this afternoon, and I'm in an airplane, and, and, by the, and I get off uh, one degree in my flight pattern between here and L.A., you do the math. But if I'm off one degree, the further I go, the farther off path I go. Right? But if, if I don't have a compass, if I don't have a true guide, if I don't have the truth, then I won't know that I'm off. And when I go as far as I think I should be in L.A. and wake up and I'm in uh, Alaska. <laughs> Error number six, Gnostics believed that God expressed himself in various manifestations and that Jesus was just one of them. This doctrine depreciated Christ, reducing him to a position of one among many ways to heaven. And so listen, the things that are going around in the world today are not new. They think that they're new, but they're not new. And if we will study a little bit of church history, you'll find out that what has been going on all along for thousands of years is the enemy trying to keep the truth of the gospel down, buried, so that nobody reads the word, nobody questions what's being taught. Just, just believe it, just believe it, because I say it. And I'm here to tell you that's wrong. We have responsibility to challenge what we're being taught. Because leaders are leading people away from Jesus and contrary to the truth. You need to ask yourself, if you're following somebody, where are they going? <laughs> where are my leaders going? You need to ask me, what do you believe? What are your tenets of faith? So many people go to a church because of the atmosphere, the building, the place, the good coffee, the worship music. Their friends are there. I know, I'll go to that church because my friends are there. No matter what they're teaching, just gobble it down. Oh, it sounds good. They don't challenge me. They're not preaching anything that puts me under any kind of conviction. Let me tell you about conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts, but he doesn't condemn. He convicts in order to correct but he doesn't condemn you. He always shows you and judge. When, when you hear a word from the Holy Spirit, he's judging what you believe. That's right. That's good. right? 
And the word of God will, 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 it will do two things. It will either fortify what we believe or it will put holes in what we think we believe and show us the truth. But we have to be willing to study. We have to be willing to do our part. So let me, let me just bring up this other point about qualifying leaders. There are qualifications to leadership. I want to, I want to point out four scriptures. There are standards in the word of God for leadership. Number one, 1 Timothy 3.6. A leader should not be a recent convert. Or he or she may become puffed up and conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Amen. <laughs> Let me just say that there are influencers, and that's a, that's a, a real buzzword to use. There are influencers in our society, all on social media, that hop up one day and say, I believe in Christ. And the next day, everybody is, is willing to believe everything that they say. Because of being gullible. We're so excited to see this person who has been living their life of sin for years and years and years. Step up to the microphone and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. We're so excited that we're, we're willing to believe whatever they say from that point on. Look, they're a spokesman for God. They're a leader in the body of Christ. They are, they're going to do great things for God. I just know it. And so... Thousands of people will begin to follow this person or that person claiming that they're so wonderful until a year later where they say, you know, <laughs> what I said last year, I don't believe anymore. Guys, this is going on. This is how gullible people are. Just because someone has a following on social media doesn't mean that they're ready or qualified to interpret the Bible. Should I say that again? Just because somebody has a huge following on social media doesn't mean that they're ready or able to interpret the Bible. I don't care what they tweet out. They can tweet out verse after verse after verse after verse. We're to examine their life. I didn't say judge them. We're examining. I'll get to that scripture in just a minute. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 says... We must hold firm to the trustworthy word that was taught so that we may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. <laughs> this is Titus telling us we've got to hold fast to sound doctrine and be able to rebuke false doctrine and people that contradict sound doctrine. Oh, but we don't want to be mean. No, you don't have to be mean to contradict what somebody's saying. Here's the word. Here's what the word says. It's very clear. In fact, I'm interpreting this word with more scriptures. And it's, our doctrine is not based on one scripture. Right? We interpret the word with the word. We use principles of interpretation to develop our doctrine, but we have to hold firm to the trustworthy word that was taught in order to have instruction and sound doctrine. 
So these are standards of leaders in the, in, in the, in, in the Word of God in the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 5.22 in the New Living Translation says, Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. They have it up here? 1 Timothy 5.22. I want you to see it. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Again, back to this idea of, well, so-and-so got converted, big name, insert big name, and now we're going to make him a leader in the church. This scripture said, never be in a hurry about pointing, appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, if they're, if they're not proven, don't put them in a place of leadership. You have to prove them. God Proves people. Right? <laughs> God wants us to be proven. We don't like that word. Tested. The Lord tests us to see if we adhere to and remain faithful to His word. Very important. Second Timothy 2.15 says this in the New International Version. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And so that's a responsibility on teachers. We have a responsibility on leaders in the body of Christ to prove them. If we're not proven, if we're not tested, if we're not approved and affirmed, then there's danger. And that's what we have a lot of in the body of Christ. A lot of people that can speak very well. But just because you can speak and communicate very well doesn't mean that your doctrine is solid. In fact, if you read after Paul and you read some of the New Testament, he says, I'm not the best speaker. <laughs> he says, I don't really do a good job at speaking. But he took three years out of his life after he became born again. Three years and went to the desert to prove that the head of the church, Jesus, who appeared to him on the road to Damascus, actually told him that he was going to be going to the Gentiles to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, because the gospel had never been preached to the Gentiles. Can you imagine the, the, the assignment that he was dealing with for three years, proving out who Jesus was according to the Old Testament? And let me just say uh, this, this thing about the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We were having a Wednesday night uh, small group here at the church, and we're talking about the the authority of the scripture and how the new depends upon the old. There are 855 verses in the New Testament that quote the Old Testament. 855. And so you take out all of those Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament and it invalidates a large part of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. <laughs> We need the old. Yes. 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 
So let's talk about leaders that drift. There's three reasons that I see that leaders drift. Number one, not making the word of God top priority in their own life. When a leader doesn't make the word of God top priority in our own life, I'll just make it personal, me. If I don't wake up in the morning, spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. And I'm not going to move here. I'm not going to move from here until this word speaks to me. I'm not asking for a, a chapter. I'm not asking for a book. I don't have to sit here for three hours. But one verse that speaks to me, show me, Lord. Change me. Change me first. Let me receive instruction from your word. Lead me by your spirit. Spirit of truth into the truth. This morning, right now, today. The word is a two-edged sword. If I give it out, then I have to take it in. And what cuts that way cuts back this way. And the word cuts out error in our lives. It corrects things that need to be corrected. And we all fit in that category. Right? If you're a cook and a good cook, you always taste what you serve. Isn't that true? I have some good cooks in the house. (laughs) Yeah, you taste it. You don't want to serve anything to anybody that you haven't tasted yourself. So we have to make, as leaders, we have to make the Word of God top priority in our life. The second thing is leaders are always looking for some new revelation. New revelation. This is where leaders begin to drift. New revelation. Something that I say that nobody else has ever said. And when, you, when somebody makes a quote and it's a strong quote or something that nobody's ever heard of and everybody goes, ooh, say that again. That's what I'm talking about. Because new <laughs> has never been newer. New has never been newer. We don't like stale. I'll use my 29-year-old daughter. She goes through the cupboard looking at the expiration date on everything, throwing things out. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, I'm 55. When I grew up, we went to the refrigerator, pulled something out. If there was a little uh, crusty stuff on it, the science project, we just scoop it off and eat it. Right? It didn't hurt me. I'm still here. I'm still alive. (laughs) Probably help me. Penicillin. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You guys are laughing because it's true. We want to throw everything away before it becomes expired. I mean, who's the one that set the expiration date? And what's it based on? Right? I, did, I Googled the other day to see how long eggs would last. For your information, like four weeks, five weeks. Come on. You buy a, a pack of eggs, has expiration date. Now don't say the pastor told you to hold on to your eggs for five weeks. <laughs> the true test is you break it open and you smell it. If it smells rotten, then it may have had a hole in it. And, and <laughs> okay, don't be gullible. Don't be gullible. And don't throw things away just because the expiration date says they should be thrown away. Right? 
get rid of all your medicine that has expiration dates on it. No. Some, guys, we have, to be, we have to be honest. Some of these expiration dates are just to make some more money. Come on. Come on. <laughs> the point is, new has never been newer. And there's a high demand on something fresh. How many people in this room got the new iPhone 11? Anybody got an iPhone 11? No. Good. Because our little iPhone 10 XR or whatever, it's still good. It still works. It's still good. Why do I, why do I need three, three eyes on the back of my phone? Like a Norelco razor. <laughs> They're just coming up with things over and over. And so there's such a demand for new, new book, a new book, a new book, a new this, a new that. There's such a demand on something fresh, like it's never been said before. But look at two, 2 Peter 2.1. 2 Peter 2.1 says, There were false prophets, prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall be, bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and brought, them, uh, brought, brought upon themselves swift destruction. So there were false prophets and false teachers, and there shall be false prophets and false teachers. We shouldn't be surprised that they're here. These heresies that, that this Greek word is talking about is, is an opinion, are schools of thought. Well, I, I think, I think, I think. No, what does the word say? Clearly, what does the word of God say? It's not what you think it says. What does it say? And let's interpret it by the rules that we have of interpretation. People think that they're discovering something that no one else has ever said. And culture is changing, and so we want to change our message with the culture. But God's Word never changes. And people don't realize that the enemy is leading them away from the truth, so they'll begin to teach their opinion and what sounds good and what's popular. You can say the same thing with different words, but listen, uh, people are twisting words. Therefore, they're twisting the truth. Number three, I think, that people, uh, leaders drift in the body of Christ is they don't want to offend people. And so we soften and we tone down this message, strong message. The Word of God is sharper, is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's able to divide uh, the, the spirit and the soul, the joints and the marrow. This is strong. And if we, if we soften it, and we excuse it, then we become soft and we lose the confrontational value of the Word of God. When I open this Word, I say, Lord, change me. This is the only thing powerful enough to change me. Lord, give it to me a hundred proof. Full proof. Anybody understand what a hundred proof means? Don't water it down. Give it to me just like it is. It's the only thing that can change me. <laughs> I don't want it watered down. The more that people are blinded from the truth, the more easily offended they are. And so people that are blinded from the truth, when, when the truth comes 
and confronts them, they're, oh, oh, are you telling me I'm wrong? You can't tell me I'm wrong because I'm right in, in my own little rightness. <laughs> my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Don't tell me my truth is not right. It's right for me. I do me. You do you. I do me. Again, back to this autonomy. Somebody can relate to that, right? So, responsibility on us as followers and disciples. Acts 17, verse 11. We need to be a Berean. Like a Berean. Be like a Berean. Acts 17, 11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day. Everybody say every day. day. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. These were Hellenistic, uh, not Hellenistic Jews, but they were Berean Jews. But the, 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 the Gnostics of the day, these Greek men and Greek women, were even drawn in to this study of the words of Paul to make sure the words of Paul were true. Now, the Bible as we know it didn't come around to the 4th century B.C., or A.D., I'm sorry. So the only thing that the Bereans had was the Old Testament. The Septuagint. The Greek version of the Old Testament to prove what Paul was saying was true. They didn't have the epistles. They didn't have the gospels. They didn't have the Bible that we enjoy today. The Bible that we hold as the truth today. So they went back every day to see if Paul was talking about Jesus that was prophesied in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And they studied daily to confirm this. So don't be so impressed by something that sounds good or comes from someone that's well-known. Galatians 1, 8 through 10, the New International Version says this, and this is Paul speaking. He said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again. Everybody say again. again. He said it once, now he's saying it again. I'm saying this again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This was a man who knew scripture, who knew Old Testament scripture. He was a Pharisee. He was was a, 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 a student of the Old Testament law, the Torah. He understood things that even people in his day didn't understand about the word. And he says, if anybody comes preaching, if we 
even begin to preach something that's different than Jesus and him crucified. Paul qualifies everything that he says. And he says, if we teach something other, let, let them be accursed. So we're supposed to watch the people that we're following. We judge, we, we examine their fruit. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. This is the New International Version. Watch out for false prophets. Why would Jesus tell us to watch out for false prophets? Because we, we will come and encounter, we will encounter a false prophet. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit... You will recognize them. He says it twice. By their fruit, you will recognize them. He doesn't say anything about judging them. There's a difference between examining someone's fruit and judging that person. We don't want to judge people because then we're passing sentence upon them and sentencing them to eternal damnation. That's for God alone to do. But we are supposed to examine the fruit when Jesus said that we're supposed to examine the fruit, we examine the fruit. And we know the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, or self-control. Against, against these things, there's no law. Right? And so we're supposed to examine, be fruit examiners. We don't judge people. We're able to look at people's doctrine and not judge them personally. If you find error in someone's doctrine, you pray for that person. It's not our job to write them a letter and correct them. The Holy Spirit is big enough to correct them. Unless you have authority over that person, you can't correct them anyway. If somebody in this church begins to, to teach error... In doctrine, it is my responsibility to, to remove them. Right? You guys agree? But it's not my responsibility to go down the road and remove somebody from somebody else's church because they're teaching error. Right? <laughs> Just like it's not your responsibility to correct somebody else's kids. Come on now. I had you for a minute and then just lost you. Well, pastor, you, you got to go correct everybody. No, 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 that's not my job. The Holy Spirit is bigger than I could ever be. And you may come to me and say, well, so-and-so is preaching this, and do you agree with this doctrine? And privately, I may say no, and I may not even tell you why. You need to, you, back to the point, you need to study. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Remember, parents, when, we, when the kids used to come and say, how do you spell, and they're writing a paper, right? How do you spell reluctant? Okay, I can tell you how to spell reluctant, but it would be better for you if you go to the dictionary, 
Find the word, look it up. You're learning how to spell the word, but you're also learning the meaning of the word to see if it's used in the right way. Guys, come on, we've given up studying the Bible because we want a quick message to make us feel good. And next week we're going to get into Bible illiteracy. That's the title for next week's message, Bible illiteracy. So let's look at a couple more scriptures and then we're going to be done today. First John chapter 4. I got a couple more scriptures. Thank you for, for hanging with me, being patient. This is, it's, so, it's so necessary. It's so needful. And I know it's line upon line and there's so much, so much I want to pack into every one of these messages on Sunday. But we need to know that we have been gullible. We have just been believing because somebody has a following that what they're saying is, is true. When it sounds good, well, it sounds good. And they're most, almost always true, so why wouldn't this be true? That's one step in the wrong direction. 1 John 4, 1. And I'm going to read this uh, in two translations. I'm going to read it in the New International first. New International Version of 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Everybody say, test the spirits. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Whose responsibility is it to test? Ours. Not your neighbor's. It's your responsibility to test. Now listen to this verse from the message. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. <laughs> don't be gullible. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. <laughs> there are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. And I can say amen. 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 So our responsibility is to test and to prove. We have to be led by the spirit of truth in order to prove. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So in order to judge the truth, we have to have the spirit of truth on the inside of us because he leads us and guides us into all the truth. He's the only one that can... Point out the error, guys. Don't be gullible and don't believe everybody just because they say they come from God. We're not all called to be Bible scholars, but we are responsible to continue in the words of Jesus every day. It's a serious responsibility to test everything you hear, but to neglect it makes us gullible, which leads to deception. Matthew 24, 24, and 25. Jesus says this, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders in order to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. And so there are signs and wonders, and people are so impressed by them, including Bibles with oil flowing out of it. Guys, come on. Don't be impressed by signs and wonders. 
the magicians in Pharaoh's court did signs and wonders. Don't be moved by signs and wonders. Be only moved by the word of God. Don't follow signs and wonders. We follow the Holy Spirit who always leads us into the truth of God's word. Let me read Colossians 2.8. Are you still with me? Is it good? Amen. Can I get another five minutes? Yes. Amen. Two, two minutes. <laughs> I'm trying to go as fast as I can, guys. Colossians 2.8. Colossians 2.8 says, the New Living Translation. I like to point out the translation I use because then you can go back and study it and study it in other translations. New Living Translation says, says it like this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't let yourself be captured by things that sound good, that are thoughts of men. These are the thoughts of God. And God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I would much rather study God's thoughts than my own thoughts are the thoughts of some philosopher or some Christian that... Sounds good. Here's what the message says. I like what the message says. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. (laughs) They want to try to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way Of Christ. So don't allow yourself to be captured. Don't be impressed by every new teaching. Every new book. And every new revelation. We have to know where we're going. Is the teaching that you're listening to. Pointing to Jesus. Or is it just pointing to a man. Or a woman. Does the leader. Exalt. The supernatural sign are their personal revelation. Or does it exalt Jesus? And the last thing, look at the fruit in your own life. What are you studying? what's What's it producing in your life? If it produces confusion, back off. A lot of people come and they'll say, Pastor, I'm just confused. I, I saw this and my friend gave me this book and, and I read some of it. And I just can't read all of it. You know what I say? Throw it away. Go back to the book. Judge everything you're reading by the book, by the word of God. It'll shine a light on it. And there's a lot of books that we don't need on our shelves. And I'm, I'm including myself Some of the things I read so that I know what's out there as a pastor because that responsibility I have to to, to be watchful over many more people than just myself, right? But ask yourself, what kind of fruit is, is, is being produced in your own life? Are you desiring to spend more time in the Word or more time in people's books? And I am purposely holding up Rick Renner's book in this. But I'm not placing Rick Renner's book higher than the Word. It's the Word. And then Rick Renner's book. If you only have time to read one book, 
read this book. That's where we go wrong. We substitute our time in the Word for time about somebody telling about their experience of heaven. Really? Do you hear the new book on heaven? <laughs> no, you know, I've got a lot to do on earth, and I'll, you know, I'll just wait till I get there. <laughs> right? Come on, guys. I know you've thought that. I know you've thought that. It's intriguing. Oh, it's so great to think about. Okay, I will. I've got time. I'm busy trying to plant the Word of God in people's lives and watch them be transformed. I can't plant somebody else's experience of heaven in the life of somebody and expect that person's life to be transformed. It doesn't produce disciples. The Word of God produces solid disciples. Somebody's men's word of them having some experience, out-of-the-body experience in heaven doesn't produce disciples. Pardon me if I get passionate about this. But people are so gullible. They're just like. <laughs> I got to have more. I got to have more. There's a new book coming out. Really? What about the old book that came out? <laughs> That's still solid. You know the author. He signed his copy. With his blood. Come on. Are we desiring more of the word and spending more time with the Lord? So it brings us to the discipleship process. It takes time to grow. I read an article yesterday and man, it just, it, 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 it angered me a little bit righteously because there's this need to grow up Christians quick. We want to grow you up quick. We want to save you time that you, don't, you didn't make the same mistakes that I made. And I'm here to tell you guys, that may be honorable. That thought may be honorable. I want to save you time so you don't have to make the same mistakes that I made. But there's some mistakes that you're going to make because you're human. And you can't live my experience. I can tell you how the word worked in my life. But that doesn't give you a free pass over the challenges that you're facing right now. That's what we want to do. We, want, we do it honestly. We want to save our children from any kind of misfortune or anything that, that they may have in their life. That, that we, we don't want them to deal with we, what we dealt with. But how many of you know when you look back over the lives of your children, they had challenges? And as much as you could do, as much money as you could pay, as, as much as you could teach them, they still had that challenge. There's no way I can grow you up quick. You've got to grow yourself up from the Word. We all need this, and there's no shortcuts. No shortcuts. Discipleship is a process. That will never end. We will always be growing in the truth. Growing in the truth. Are you hungry for the truth? Not for what I'm telling you, but for what Jesus himself, the head of the church, the lover of your soul, your Savior, your Lord, wants to tell you. Let's pray.
Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. If you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give online by visiting us on our website at lifeway.church forward slash give. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this.